So if your contract says, I pay you X amount for all your hours worked. So if you worked 50, then they get their straight rate for that 50, but you still own that halftime premium if they're eligible. Picture a world where costs are down, profits are up, and customers are clamoring at your door. You're listening to Let's Get Up to Business from Jordan Law. Our interviews with business owners, service providers, and area experts can teach you how to create a world of success and profitability. If you're looking for an attorney to assist in your business formation, employment agreements, or other legal business needs, contact Jordan Law at 407-906-5529. You can also reach us on the web at jordanlawfl.com. Jordan Law, we protect you and your business. Hello and welcome to Let's Get Up to Business with Jordan Law. Joining me today is Lewis Montone with the Leach Firm. Lewis is a uh, fantastic employment law attorney who's going to share with us some of his tips and tricks that he looks for in great cases so that our business-owning listeners can uh, you know, not make those mistakes. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So um, we've had anybody listening to this who knows they need to talk to an employment, I guess a plaintiff's employment attorney. Is that correct? Yes. All right, so anybody who knows they need to contact you, what is the best contact info? Sure. Well, my direct line is 321-441-4103, and that would be the best way to reach me directly. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I, you know, I currently practice uh, employment only, uh, employment law only, and uh, only on the plaintiff's side, meaning I represent people. I represent individuals who have had some sort of legal issue with their employer. Uh, and so, you know, I've been doing that for practically my entire career out of law school. It's been a few years now. And uh, prior to that, I was actually in commercial sales. I, you know, I worked in New York City for a while. I sort of had a career before law. And uh, so I'm, you know, come with a little bit more diverse background than just law. So can you share kind of, uh, you know, your most common cases that you're seeing? You know, what's the, what's the situation that's presented that has lead them, led somebody to contact you? Sure, sure. Well, discrimination is... Uh, sort of our bread and butter, and there's a lot of that going on. Um, there are only a few what are called protected classes in this area of law. So what I mean is that you know, race, age, gender, disability, religion, um, for example, those are the protected classes. So discrimination can only be based on one of those things under uh, federal law. And I won't go into a ton of details, but, um, but basically discrimination is big, a lot of retaliation cases, and a lot of wage and hour cases where people are not paid correctly by their employer. So the discrimination stuff, is that Title VII? It's Title VII under federal law. Uh, Florida has a, a very similar uh, law called the Florida Civil Rights Act, which basically mirrors that, although there are some differences between the two. And then there are also local level laws like Orange County and uh, has ordinances that also uh, have different types of protection. So you're representing somebody who was fired for one of those things or was not hired for one of those things or either one? It could be either. Uh, Typically, a situation, a case is when someone's been terminated for the most part. All right. So most of your clients are going to be fired. I I mean, I I don't want to say ideally, but... No, that is it. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the right word. Yeah, they've either been fired or the writing's on the wall, I like to say a lot, you know. 
And then you said wage and hour cases. So that's going to be somebody who's not paid, who's paid below minimum wage or not paid properly. Yes. And that's another vast area, but you're correct. You know, minimum wage and another big, big area is overtime law. A lot of overtime violations, um, that gets complicated, um, paying people. And so for your business listeners, you know, a lot of times they violate these laws, um, by accident. That doesn't matter. There's no intent behind that. You have to pay someone correctly. And under, you have to, uh, you know, be advised throughout the course of your business dealings so that you're not violating those laws. And then, uh, what was the third kind? I forgot that one. Sorry. I think I mentioned retaliation and whistleblowing. Okay. Yeah, that's very common. So that's going to be somebody getting fired because they have what reported the the company to some agency. Yeah, there's a lot of different forms of that as well. Um, so, for example, this, the discrimination laws have their own retaliation provisions. So, let's say you know I'm Italian and I uh, didn't get fired because I was Italian, but I complained that my boss was discriminating against me because of my race or national origin, and then I get fired, that would be an example of a retaliation claim based on a protected class again. Okay, so it's not necessarily whistleblowing to you know an agency that the company's doing something wrong. It can be getting fired for saying that you're being discriminated against. Yeah, it depends on it depends on the facts. We actually do also handle what you're referring to, Jordan. Uh, the Florida uh, Private Whistleblower Act would handle something like that typically if it's a private employer where you're reporting something that you believe was a violation of a law, rule, or regulation. If you're terminated for that, that's a whistleblower retaliation claim as well. All right, so then let's go down all those in more detail because, I mean, I think there's going to be some great information that you can provide for our listeners on all those. Uh, any preference on which one we do first? I think discrimination law is probably the heart of it. Okay. So walk me through a little bit about, you know, the Title Seven stuff, the Florida stuff, and the differences. Sure. Well, they're very similar. Um, under Title Seven, um, you know, what we're looking for is uh, that someone has been discriminated against because of their membership in a protected class. And those are the legal terms of art. But So I, it's important that I use those because that's really what we're looking for. So, you know, again, sticking to, you know, myself as an example, if I've been uh, terminated in my job and I have evidence that it was because I am male, that would be a claim potentially under Title VII as well as the Florida law, as well as even local law, depending on what county you're in. Okay, so gender is going to be one of them? Yeah, so we have race, gender, disability, national origin, religion, and uh, I'm trying, I'll think if there's anything else. I think that covers most of what it. What about age? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Age is another protected class. Right. What – I mean, I guess – so the, the issue I have on those, you know, the disability and the age one, mm. I always kind of go back to because, you know, for some, I guess they're allowed to. Like you can't – you know, if you're disabled and you can't lift more than 30 pounds, they, they don't have to offer you a job working in a – you know, stocking or, or moving boxes or something. Right, right. And typically, uh, the law protects the employers, you know, from that. So what we have to do is an analysis. And, and the analysis is based on, first, are they actually disabled, to stick to the disability um, hypothetical. And then there's an analysis that's done. An employer does not have to accommodate anybody for any reason. There, it has to be a reasonable accommodation. And so that's a very gray area. If those words sound great to you, it's because they are gray. And that's really where you need... Uh, you know, experienced attorneys on both the plaintiff and the defense side to really evaluate that the facts to see if there's been a violation or not. And so from a gender standpoint, I mean, mm -hmm. like, so can Hooters, do they have to hire male waiters now or? You know, there's case law, famous case law and stuff like that. If it's a bona fide uh, occupational reason for a job, they don't have to do it. You know, if it's something like that, uh, you know, it's possible that they can stick to just one gender. Um, those are not really the type of things that we typically see. I mean, typically, you know, we're seeing the, you know, just in a regular old office and, you know, a woman is 
getting harassed because of her gender, is being held back because of her gender, so forth. Um, with you know, the more common examples are just everyday things where someone's being treated worse. What I mean, are there any? What other you know famous examples are there where you can discriminate based upon gender? Um, well, religion comes to mind actually even more so. Okay. Um, which again, it's a different protected class, but that's an example of where you know uh, a religious entity does not have to necessarily uh, hire someone outside of their beliefs. Um, but so that's I think an example that I can give you off the top of my head. What sort of? I, I mean, obviously, like if I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm Jewish, so mm-hmm. I don't really care if anybody else is Jewish or not. That's part of our thing. Mm-hmm. But like as a law firm, you know, I, I can't have to hire. I can't only hire other Jewish people. So, what sort of companies are getting the ability to, you know, be choosy when it comes to religion? I don't think there would be a lot of that. I don't think that many companies are probably going down that path. If okay. I'm understanding your question right, I don't think many times that's a that's an issue. Well, I mean, you're so you're talking about times where people can discriminate with religion being one. So, like if you're like Advent Adventist Health, mm-hmm. you know, they're Seventh Day Adventists. You have to be a Seventh Day Adventist to get it above a certain spot. Is that okay? Yeah, I, I don't think that would be okay unless there's a, a bona fide reason for it. Um, like your Hooters example, I think would be a better example of this type of hypothetical where okay. you have to be a specific gender, you know, to actually perform this job. Um, so I hope that makes a little bit better sense. Uh, maybe. I mean, there. Look, there's a ton where what you do makes perfect sense to me, <laughs> and there's a ton where I look at it as an as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't understand why that's not okay. You know, obviously, if you're sitting there saying, oh, I don't want to hire anybody who's Hispanic or black or white or whatever, I get it. But, you know, I guess I guess the disability thing makes the most sense. You know, if you've got something mm-hmm. specific to the job that requires certain abilities, it's easier to not have somebody with disabilities. Well, well the disability um, law, the way it works is that the person has to be able to perform the essential job duties, and they have to be able to do it with or without an accommodation. So without an accommodation, it's kind of an easy one. You know, I can do my job. I don't need accommodations. So the questionable ones, the ones that may turn into claims, are if someone needs an accommodation. And that's where it goes back to that gray area I mentioned where the employer's burden is to engage in what's called the interactive process and actually speak and you know ex- discuss the, the request and accommodation with that employee and unless there's an undue burden on the company, they may have to accommodate them. And again, it's very fact specific. It's hard for me to give you a, a bright line rule beyond that. Well, so for example, like if I'm hiring a receptionist and somebody doesn't have hands, but they can answer the phone, you know, by tapping their foot if we get something set up, then that may be a situation where you'd, you'd have to accommodate. Yeah, possibly, unless it's an undue burden on you, you know, unless there's, you know, you, for example, you know, employers are, you know, not required to create jobs for someone. Um, they're not required to spend a ton of money necessarily on, on a particular person. Okay. Um, just to give you a classic example of this, it's more, um, more common thing is like someone gets hurt or they have a disability, they have some sort of, a, you know, medical condition and they uh, can't stand for long periods of time or they can't lift really heavy things. It's usually like a light duty Accommodation where you know they don't they can still do the main job. I can still answer the phone. I can still work on the computer, but I maybe just can't lift something heavy that occasionally needs to be lifted. That's a more classic example. Gotcha. Okay. I mean that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the age one. I mean that's the other one that that interests me because obviously like I, you know it, it's 2019, so people can change what they identify as or they identify as you know something else, whatever. But age is always going to change. You know, I'm always going to get a year older after every year. Mm-hmm. So how do you incorporate age discrimination when age is not really an immutable characteristic 
Well, federal law covers individuals aged 40 or over, first of all. So, okay. t- so the Age Discrimination and Employment Act is actually separate uh, than Title VII. So, that, so first of all, there's a threshold of 40 under federal law. Now, one of the differences, because you mentioned uh, what those may be, the Florida Civil Rights Act does not have that uh, qual- that, necessar- that necessary threshold. So under, in Florida law, you could, you could be 39 and have an age claim. Okay, um, so, and I think I think to answer your question, you know, you're just looking for people not being treated less favorably. No one, no one under the protected classes is entitled to favorable treatment. It doesn't matter if you're man, woman. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant, disabled, whatever your religion is. It's not about getting more than your coworker. It's about not being treated less favorably than someone outside of that protected class. So for age cases, we're looking for. You know, am I? You know, if I'm 60 years old, just as an example, you know, did I get fired or was I treated worse specifically because I was 60 and someone wanted me out because of my age? So, okay, so basically, the way the federal rule is set up is I can I can give preference to somebody over 40 in their favor. I just can't do it less than I, I can't do it against them. Well, there's no there's no these laws don't entitle anyone to anything uh special like so there, there's no the law is not forcing your business to treat someone better age 40 or over you just can't treat them worse than people younger than they are right but let's say i open up you know a, a, a chief financial officer and i put you know anybody under 40 need not apply because i don't think they have enough life experience um is that something that i can do because they're only going to be protected at 40 no you you most likely would run into that most likely would be illegal to advertise like that you can't you can't advertise against the discriminated uh, or the protected classes like that okay so mm-hmm. even so the federal laws protect people over 40 but you'd still have a florida claim under that you could have a florida claim um you'd have a claim potentially against anyone that is in the i guess the market uh, you know like if, if you're saying we can't we don't want people under over 40 you're discriminating against everybody over 40 so you're opening yourself up to uh possible claims from other people, you know, like a failure to hire, like you mentioned at the beginning, type of thing. Even though the federal, even though title or whatever, even though the federal act you talked about protects, it, it talks about forty as the as, as the age where it starts protecting people. Yeah, make sure I understand your question. You're saying you only want people over forty or under forty? Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm playing a hypothetical here. Yeah. So you're telling me, you know, the the way that the federal statute works out is it's protecting people over forty from being discriminated against. Right. So I can't fire somebody because just because they're over forty. But if I do the reverse of that, if I have a position where I'm looking for somebody with life experience, with mm-hmm. a, on a second career, or whatever, and I don't want to hire anybody under forty, am I okay in that statute because I'm giving them a benefit of age, not a detriment? I see what you're saying. Um, let me just give a disclaimer. You know, I'm not a defense attorney, so you'd have to really speak to someone who gives management side daily advice like this because you're asking a lot of the of the good like daily management questions. Um, you'd still potentially have a problem under Florida law, like you said, because okay. that doesn't cover people just over 40. And uh, in general, you're not supposed to discriminate on job postings. Um, so I think that that's just kind of my general answer to your question. I mean, you may not have an age claim for people over 40, like you're okay. saying, but you you could you would still potentially have a, a violation of law by doing that. And um, what about requiring somebody to be bilingual or speak another language? Uh, you know, I think that's okay if it's if it's required. Again, you know, it's, it sounds like a bona fide characteristic that you would need in a job. And you, I'm sure you see that a lot in other job postings. Um, that's pretty common that to require someone to speak another language. Okay, and I guess mm-hmm. in that, because you're not requiring them to be... You're not requiring them to be from, you know, Portugal or Brazil. You're not requiring them to be from a Spanish-speaking country. 
just to speak, you know, English and Spanish, that's okay? Yeah, because it's really about the way you're treating the other people. So, you know, if you're if, – if the other person – it's okay because you're not – yeah, it's not treating them worse and your job uh, requires that skill. So, you know, I, I don't speak Portuguese, so, you know, I, I simply cannot do that job. So it's okay for you to need someone who can speak Portuguese, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right, so we kind of covered – you know, uh, most of them. Um, the one that I always kind of go back on is what about sexual orientation? I know this is probably not where we expected this podcast to go, but I know that... That's a great question. From from a Florida standpoint, Florida does not have a non-discrimination policy regarding sexual orientation, at least the last that I heard. No, under federal law, it's not currently protected. Under Florida state law, it's not, but it is covered in Orange County law. Sexual orientation is covered. So for your business owners in Orange County, that is something to be aware of. Um, so in other words, someone does not need a Title VII claim. They can bring a claim against you under Orange County Ordinance. Uh, this is currently being litigated. It's currently working its way through the Supreme Court. And um, so, you know, my guess is that I think sexual orientation may be covered under gender at some point. It may be happening sooner than later. But of course, you know, no one can predict the future. So, so basically, I mean, I guess in theory, a business right now that does not operate in Orange County, or I guess another county that has the same ordinance. Mm-hmm. Could in theory hold that against somebody? Uh, in theory, okay. Yeah. The orange the Orange County ordinance that's going to apply to both government and private businesses in Orange County, or just to government contracts, or how does that work? Um, I'd have to check. I believe it applies to all. Um, the one I the one I use the most is something that applies to private companies. Um, I'd have to double check that ordinance to answer your question. Okay. Uh, all right. So, but basically, from our business owner's perspective, mm-hmm. you know if. One, don't be a jerk. I mean, that's kind of always rule number <laughs> Good one. Good start, right? <laughs> Two, you know, if, if you're going to fire somebody or if you're going to not hire somebody based upon something about them, just make sure you're checking all these things. Make sure you have a viable reason. I mean, it's almost like us striking a juror. Mm-hmm. You know, I need a, I need mm-hmm. a race-neutral, I need a protected class-neutral reason. Um so it's just something for our business owners to consider. Yeah, and you know, you, you know, we're obviously attorneys. So just as a as a reminder, and anytime you have a question, uh, you know, and again, I don't I don't do this right now, but I you know know plenty of fantastic attorneys in the Orlando area that do. You know, it's always great to just get some advice if you don't have someone even on retainer, but you have a difficult decision to make, and maybe you're you're afraid, you know, that there may be some exposure to your company. It's always best to just get professional advice. It's it's worth it. And um, another thing I want to just mention, Jordan, since there's a lot of business um, listeners, is that these laws always will typically have a minimum threshold of employees. So Title VII is 15 people, um, and the Orange County Ordinance is only five. So just to give you an example, if you're a small business owner, sometimes you're just not covered by Title VII, but then you don't realize that oh, I didn't know I'm covered by the Orange County or the uh, yeah the Orange County Ordinance, and suddenly there are potential discrimination claims against you. So that's something that, a, that a, an employment attorney on the defense side could advise you about before you make those decisions. All right. I I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I go back to it because our rule number one is don't be a jerk. I'm not as worried about these. but I know you're, And Jordan, I mean, you're hitting a nail on the head. I mean, you know, I, I really hope that most companies are not making decisions based on, you know, protected classes. You know, uh, that, let's hope that's not what's happening. What um, – do you know the threshold for the Florida – uh, I have to check that one. I think it's over 10 or 15. It's very okay. similar to Title VII. Um, the Orange County one's the most uh, dangerous one, being as low as five. Well, or the most beneficial one. If you're on the plaintiff side, yes, but I'm trying to stick to your... <laughs> uh, look, again, I go back to, I, we always advise our clients, don't be a jerk. You know, put put stuff in writing that's valid reasons, put stuff that you can defend, and put something that you're that you would be 
more than willing to share with a jury or a judge if it got there and that's you know documenting Mm -hmm. somebody not fulfilling their job requirements for you know several months before they're gone or making a huge mistake or stealing from the company versus them being too old or too short or too white or too black or you know whatever it is you know one thing i can say i have done some defense work although very little in my career i've mostly been on the individual plaintiff side but i i can share this as well as that you know a lot of times defense attorneys um management side attorneys they will draft the handbooks for companies they will put together the policies and procedures and that does a couple of things it creates this written documentation so the company can use that if there's ever any litigation that they've got these policies written these procedures they follow but it also educates the company you know a small business that may not have the experience with these type of laws may not have their own in-house uh, human resources department an attorney can help to establish that in the beginning you know these are these are the policies this is how you avoid sexual harassment claims this is how you are compliant with title 7 and so forth. Even though it may seem obvious to us, it, it's nice to have a business sort of get that education. Yeah, and that a couple weeks ago we had Blair Jackson from our office on the podcast. And we talked about those things. Is you mm-hmm. know, it's not just it's not just putting in place documents. It's putting in place the policy and procedure to get to those documents and the training necessary to make sure that your you know employees are following it properly. Exactly, and you know, for example, a sexual harassment claim. There's actually a way for a plaintiff to to really get you if you don't have a policy in place. If the employer has a policy in place and a plaintiff, an individual, did not follow that harassment procedure, that's a defense. And companies rely on that defense all the time. So you, you know, having those policies in place and, and complying with them is very important for businesses. So while we're still on you know, the Title VII, the protected classes, you know, anything else, any other tips or tricks for our listeners as to what not to do or you know, little things that you've seen that aren't necessarily obvious? Um, I think just kind of a bigger picture thing, checks and balances seems to be important. And what I mean is that a lot of times there's a bad apple in a company. You know, there's a bad, someone at the management level somewhere, someone in human resources somewhere makes mistakes, violates the law. Maybe they're, maybe they are a bad person. Like you said, you know, treat people, you know, nice, you know, that you won't have these problems. But that's, I guess, one of my tips is that I don't know that you can ever fully trust, you know, there's always, uh, I think, good, um, a good business practice to just have, other management aware of what's going on. If one, I've seen many times where one person's in charge of something and they're the ones violating the law and it creates a lot of problems for a company. Okay, so have those checks and balances yeah. in place. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else on the discrimination that stands out? No, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's hard to say. You know, I, I don't think so. I think that if you really are concerned, um, and not that I'm not suggesting anyone intentionally wants to discriminate, but if you just want to make sure you're... Uh, understand these laws and understand if you're covered by these laws, I think it's best to reach out to an attorney and explain, you know, what you do and have them, you know, explain it and, and, you know, fill out, create the policies for your business. What about, and this may be more a wage and hour thing, I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure. So let me know if it is and we'll get to it then. But what about, you know, closing the office for certain religious holidays or not closing the office, but letting people that celebrate that have that time off. Is that going to factor into this? Um, possibly. I, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. That's something okay. that, yeah, I've never really dealt with uh, myself. Um, I could see it being an issue again only if you really were to, to really mess something up, but I, I really don't think I can answer that. Okay, no problem. Mm-hmm. All right, so then, um, so let's transition then to talking about the retaliatory stuff. I don't know. Is there anything from your standpoint that's going to be different on the retaliatory than is on the, you know, the termination? Yeah, the, the, the biggest difference is that the retaliation claims are actually easier, uh, meaning better for the plaintiff, harder for the business. And the reason is because there doesn't actually have to be necessarily discrimination 
Um, you know, if someone goes and complains, you look, I think I'm being discriminated against because I'm Italian. And then they get fired because they complained. That's the retaliation claim. So maybe there was never necessarily this great case of, uh, you know, national origin discrimination or race discrimination. But now you've got a retaliation claim and the plaintiff only has to prove that they were terminated because they complained about it, which is a different type of analysis. So I'm not suggesting any of them are easy to win, but um, that's, I think, the biggest difference between the two. So from the business owner standpoint, I mean, if somebody comes in and, and complains about believing they're under that, then obviously, one, investigate and find mm-hmm. out whether it's true. Mm-hmm. But also, two, I mean, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's on any employment evaluations or anything else. Right. That if you're going to go ahead and fire this person, I mean, really, it's it's to your benefit because they put you on notice that they think something wrong is going on. Absolutely. If everything's on the up and up and there's a legitimate complaint, and, and look, I see that too. I see that happen all the time. There's a lot of fantastic businesses in this area. Most of them are, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, many times someone complains and the company deals with it and, and takes care of whatever that, that issue was. Yeah, it's always interesting. I had, um, you know, my, my wife and I are constantly trying to find, you know, new TV shows or share TV shows we like with each other. Mm-hmm. And so a couple months ago, we started watching Boston Legal, which I had watched when it was on. And so, you know, it's a lawyer show. It's kind of funny. But the amount of sexual – the amount of rampant sexual harassment in it – and, it, like, I'm, I'm like, this stuff wouldn't – one, wouldn't even make it on TV today because it's too it's too bad. <laughs> but, two, we're talking about it. We're like, you know what? I bet that does go on in so many businesses even now. Like, just the – Yeah. All sorts of stupid crap like that and, and then nobody being interested in actually investigating it. I just – it's it's it, mind-boggling. There is. And, you know, I've – unfortunately, I will, I will say that. I've had many sexual harassment cases, many of them in my career. Um – and there's different forms of sexual harassment, and you know they're very serious cases. And and uh, one thing, you know, another tidbit I think I could throw out there for listeners um, that are business owners is that sometimes you know people are have a playful relationship at work. You know, maybe it's funny, um, maybe it's jokingly, and um, you know, sexual harassment's about unwelcome, unwelcome harassment, unwelcome actions. That's how it becomes harassment. And so one bit of advice I can give is to just be careful, you know, because something can turn unwelcome. Someone who was okay with certain jokes last week, but then suddenly isn't anymore, that can turn into a case as long as it's unwelcome, whatever you're doing to them. That's so if you're mm-hmm. so if you're that if you're truly that charismatic, <laughs> it's not sexual harassment. I that you heard that from Lewis's mouth right here. No, I, I think you mischaracterized what I said there. <laughs> That's, isn't that what lawyers do? <laughs> no, but seriously though, you know, I've had cases where, you know, someone, you know, maybe they were okay with certain if it's welcome, it's welcome. You know, if you make well, jokes at work, it's okay. But someone, no, I mean, the takeaway is what was okay last month doesn't have to be okay this month. Right, that's, exactly. That's the, right, and if it's sexual, if it's it, meaning, if it's being based on someone's gender, a man or woman, you know, um, you've got to be careful with that. And so I, I emphasize a lot uh, to just you know, remain professional at workplaces because you just never know. Right. So I guess so when we're talking sexual harassment, really we're talking gender discrimination. It doesn't have to be exactly. about. It doesn't have to be about sex. It doesn't have to be crude. It can be. You know, just based upon men versus women for different things. Yeah, both exist. So, you know, you could you could fire someone because they're a man or a woman, um, and then the sexual harassment aspect of it is a, is more in line with what we were discussing, you know, where it's actual sexual, um, you know, issues, like, like unwelcome um, behavior towards someone that is based on their gender, yes, but it's more in the sexual, uh, you know, in that realm. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, um, so then let's go over to the, uh, you know, the, the whistleblower stuff and then we'll finish on the wage and hour thing because i think there's a lot that we can go over there too so from the whistleblower standpoint mm. kind of walk me through i mean i'm assuming this is going to be different based upon every profession every agency that there's a whistle blown to i mean etc is that right yeah there's a few there's a few different ways to do that and you know we touched on um 
you know, just to circle back, the Title Seven has its own provision, right? So you know, if you complain about your, you think you're being discriminated against at work, then you're fired. That's under Title Seven retaliation. So all the discriminatory statutes have their own retaliation provisions. Um, so then Florida has additional protection um, where, and I'll just give kind of a very generic, you know, explanation of it. But there, there's a way where, yes, if you go before an agency, it's covered. Um, but also, if you believe there was a, a violation of a law, rule, or regulation, and again, it starts to get a little vague there. But um, if you complain to your to your work about that without even going to an agency, there are ways for that to be a claim oh, in okay, writing so and not and even verbally. There are ways for that to be a whistleblower slash retaliation claim as well. So you're gonna so for business owners, I mean, mm-hmm. if somebody's complaining internally or externally, treat it the same. I mean, treat it with you know all absolutely, yeah. And uh, you know, I've had a case case multiple cases where someone's you know uh, fidgeting with accounting books and they complain about you know hey this is against the law whatever this is and then they get fired that could be a claim yeah interesting yeah so any other tips for our business owner listeners when it comes to that kind of stuff no it really falls into the same ballpark that i said before you really just want to have policies in place and follow your procedures you know obtain legal advice it's worth the money that you will spend on good attorneys in the beginning to prevent these kind of issues so I'm going to have to go and amend ours to include, like, don't break the law. That <laughs> needs to be a policy that we don't have in place currently, I guess. Uh, it sounds like you've got them. It sounds like they're – if you're hitting all the the major statutes, um, it's uh, it, it's about not firing that person for complaining. Right. You know, as companies can make mistakes about stuff. or and, and, you know, I won't really get into that. But the issue – the employment issue is, you know, if someone complains that, hey, you violated, you know, such and such statute, and your, your response is, all right, let's get rid of this person, that's a whistleblower claim. Well, it's, it's funny because when I talk to people about, you know, the employment stuff, I always – everybody thinks I'm joking, but I'm not. I'd prefer to hire somebody with a criminal record in the past. I'd prefer to hire somebody who's been through a bad car accident. I'd prefer to hire somebody who's been through, you know, running a business and had it go poorly or not so that they can empathize with our clients a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every time I tell people about I prefer people with a criminal record, everyone, like, looks at me sideways. And I'm like, look <laughs> – there's nobody here with a criminal record, but if I was looking at two, you know, one person with a DUI, one person without, but same resumes, I take the person with a DUI yeah. you know, every day of the week just because they they understand more. I mean, they get they get what our clients are going through a lot better. The empathy, is, I, I agree with you. The empathy is a big part of our profession, you know, and I and I feel that a lot. I mean, a lot of times my clients and look, you know, we're talking a lot about business, and I respect. Again, I've I've helped businesses. I respect the business side of it. I've I've been in business myself. Essentially, I've been in sales, like I said. Um, but I have to empathize a lot with my clients too. I mean, someone walks into your office and truly, genuinely feels they were discriminated against, you know, because of their race or their gender or any of those classes. And it's it's serious stuff. You know, it's very emotional. And to hammer that point home, I mean, mm-hmm. what percentage of cases are you taking? I'm assuming, you know, you got to go through a bunch of, of BS claims or not viable ones. Yeah, I, I don't have the exact numbers from our firm, but I know it's a very small number. And that's a great question, Jordan, because a lot of people – wrongful termination is the – you know people think I was fired. They automatically think there's a legal claim. Florida right. is an employment at will state, which means you can be fired for any reason, even no reason. And so unless you're under some kind of contract, unless you have some sort of union protection, most people are employed at will here in Florida. And you know it may be unfair. It may be mean. But unless it's having to do with one of these many laws we've discussed – and we've only scratched the surface. you know. Right. But if, unless it has something to do with one of these laws, it's probably not illegal. So are we talking, you know, less than ten percent of leads? That I, are? That's I believe it's in that range. I honestly can't say, okay. but I think it's somewhere and probably around that range. Yeah, it's very low. All right. So before we get to wage an hour, anything mm. else we need to cover? No, I think that's a pretty good just general explanation of you know what to look out for and what I do. You know. 
All right, so then give me the rundown. You know, you talked about um, overtime law. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, for our listeners, you know, what what are the rules on overtime? Well, there are, again, thresholds for this, um, but many, many companies are covered by uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act. The FLSA is the federal law that governs federal minimum wage and overtime, which is also federal. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about overtime because I think I see it a lot more. Um, it's very easy to violate that. Um, overtime is when you've worked more than 40 hours in one week. It's not two weeks. It's not the biweekly pay period. It doesn't matter what your internal accounting process is. It's a 40-hour-a-week thing. And so um, you know, many companies just don't pay that premium, which is time and a half for every hour over 40. Now, I'll say this. There are, many, uh, there are some exemptions to that rule, and there are many regulations that you know, if someone's paid straight commissions – you know, instead of getting an hourly rate, there are there are a lot of different ways that people are paid, and so there are a lot of different analysis that we have to do to see if there's actually a violation or not, to see if they were really paid properly. If that makes sense, it gets kind of complicated. When um, when does the week restart? Um, I believe you can do that how you'd like. I, I I'd have to check that. I think it's a regulation, but I believe you can just start how you want to. Like you can do okay. Monday through Monday. I don't think that necessarily matters. It's just it can't be the biweekly thing. Like you know, if you worked eighty hours and. If you worked 45 hours in two weeks, but those five hours were all in the first week, you worked 45 the first week, that's, you know, those right, five hours. Five right, right. I wonder how many businesses will do, like, Wednesday to Wednesday for their week so they can, you know, sneak people in or something. Yeah, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not sure. I'm just not on that side of it. I mean, typically it's it's a generic, you know, Monday or Sunday start time. And, um, and you know, for hourly employees, you know, they're usually punching in. But um biggest mistake a business could do is not have accurate records of – the timesheets right. and everything. That's how they get in trouble. Um, and so it's not you – know, somebody can work 10 hours in a day. It's not overtime once you get past 8. It just has to be over 40 for the week Correct. normally. Correct, yeah. Okay. Um, what are some of the other things that you see when it comes to the overtime issues? Um, well, it's usually the documentation of it. It's usually um, where there just aren't clean, accurate records. Um, and the burden is on the employer to keep those. Uh, believe it or not, it may sound unfair, but the way these laws are, are written is that you know they, they don't feel wage and hour claims would ever be possible if an employee was to be in charge of like business records. So the employer has the burden under the overtime law to maintain proper records, and a lot of times the fight is over that. You know, the employee employee tells me I work ten hours every week overtime, so I start doing the math, and the numbers start to get pretty big pretty fast. And then the employer says that's impossible. This person never did that. That's just that's just complete lie. Well. If there's proper documentation of it, it's a lot easier to beat the case, you know. And, and so, like any legal dispute, you know, you, you want to be as far away from the gray area as possible on that. I mean, in proper documentation, that could be an email from the employee to the employer, hey, these are my hours for the last week, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be a formal punch card or something along those lines. It doesn't have to be, but the formal, the electronic punch cards are best. Um, and a lot of issues are not the hourly people. I, we're kind of discussing hourly people in this example. Uh, salary people can be... Uh, eligible for overtime too. That's a very common violation. It's called a misclassification. You know, sometimes uh, people believe that if you're on salary, you automatically um, are exempt for overtime. That's not correct. It's not automatically that. There are, there's a there are certain elements that have to be met for each um, exemption, and so that's another very common violation. Can you walk me through that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, um, you know, as attorneys, we're exempt. Just to give you one of the easy examples, there's a professional exemption. Um, so. Uh, other exemptions, um, there's an exemption called the administrative exemption, and um, what it's looking for is uh, there's been um, some potential changes in the, in the weekly wage that's required. It was $455 per week, and uh, you know I won't get into that, but that's been in litigation, whether they're going to raise that or not. It's a political issue right now. 
Um, but that's the first element, and a lot of businesses, uh, they think that that's it. They think that you're salaried, you are not entitled to overtime. It's not that simple. That's the first element. So depending on their job duties. Um, so let me think through what's an easy example um, because they're not actually that easy. But um, certain jobs are exempt. Certain jobs, there's you know legal cases where they've been deemed exempt essentially. But um, um, actually, let me use the, the management one. There's a management exemption. That's easier. Um, if someone is supervising two or more what is the equivalent of full-time people, that's one of the main things we're looking for under that exemption. So that's an easier one. It's a little more measurable, you know? So um, if someone is called a supervisor, you know, their title's manager, but they don't actually supervise anyone, then there's a good chance they're not gonna fall into that exemption and they're entitled to overtime. Now, is that something though that you can contract away? Like I can pay you $50,000 a year with the understanding that you're gonna work 45 hours a week or something along those lines? You cannot contract away this stuff. you can only um, minimize the payment. So, for example, in your example, if you wanted to pay someone, like if your pay is for their full time, they don't have to get the time and half premium. There, there's ways to calculate that so that you are um, only owing them the half time on those additional hours. So, if your contract says I pay you X amount for all your hours worked, so if you worked 50, then they get their straight rate for that 50, but you still owe them that half time premium if they're eligible. So, again, it's case by case, it's very fact intensive. Gotcha. And it depends on how you pay them. There are a lot of different regulations. So I'm just giving sort of a generic example. All right. Um, what – I mean, anything else on the overtime stuff? I know it's a lot. No, yeah, it is a lot. I mean, I think that just generally speaking, you know, if it's an hourly employee, which is the most traditional thing, um, you know, your records are very important. And then uh, for the salary people, it goes back to what I said, you know, is that it's you probably want an employment attorney to audit your – staff to, to what I'm talking about, they'll do that beforehand. And you can run that by an attorney first right. and then decide, all right, or even you can go through the Department of Labor. You can get um, essentially the green light. And then if someone tries to sue you later, you have some support to say, well, look, I'm, the only reason I paid them like this is because my attorney said so or because, you know, uh, Department of Labor said so. So, for, and then from the, from the wage stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. I know, you know, Lyft and Uber, there's a ton of litigation going mm-hmm. on now with a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. the independent contractor versus the employee. I know there was a big one recently with um, a lot of uh, uh, restaurants mm-hmm. not paying minimum wage, but they were having the waiters and waitresses, you know, fold towels and napkins right. and all that. Very common. So what is, you know, is there an overall thing to look for for the wage stuff? Or, I mean, how does somebody know? Well, I think you just know your business. So if you're, you know, Uber is like a very different type of business than a restaurant. So it, again, defaults to ask the attorney to audit the type of job duties your employees have um, because those are two totally different things. The uh, the people who are working for some of these like car sharing um, companies, they're misclassified as independent contractors potentially. That's the fight that they're having. So the misclassification I mentioned already and I don't want to get too complicated with this and kind of bore everyone with all the legal lease of it, but you can misclassify someone as being exempt under the overtime laws, or you can misclassify someone as being an independent contractor when they're not. So if you just say, Here, you're an independent contractor, I write that on your job you know, application, that doesn't mean they're an independent contractor. There are different elements to look for. So you need to an attorney to audit that. If you're a restaurant, same thing. You know, If you have people who are uh, involved in tipping and sharing tips, you have to make sure that you're doing that correctly. There's a lot of ways to violate that. And so uh, I guess the legal analysis from that standpoint mm-hmm. is you're looking at the tips as basically commission? 
Um, yeah, it's part of their pay. And, um, you know, one common thing I see is that, you know, back in house employees get tips when they're not supposed to. So you have to look at however they're getting paid, however your restaurant does it, you have to make sure that they're not violating the overtime law. I'm not sure how else to explain it other than it just depends on the facts. You okay. know, you have to have someone really audit, like, what is it that you guys do? And then make sure you're not breaching the FLSA. But, like, the rationale from the restaurant stuff is you're having them do non-waiter or waitress work. You're having them do things that aren't going to lead to tips for them, but still paying them less than minimum wage? Or is that not the legal analysis? I think that um, if someone is tipped, you would you would have that understanding in the beginning, if I'm understanding your question. So someone would be... There's a tip credit, so you could pay someone less than minimum wage. Right. Is that what you're referring to? Right, but so my... Look, this is your area of law. Yeah, this yeah. is not my area of law. We deal with the restaurant owners more, but mm-hmm. um, one of the you know one of the things that I came across that was the was the issue with this was you're basically pulling these people away from working a table for tips mm-hmm. to have them fold napkins, to have them put together silverware, to have them you know whatever it is along those lines, and then by doing that, you know the the business doesn't have to pay somebody minimum wage to do that. They can pay the waiter or waitress less than that. And so, like, is that is that where the issue is, that you're having them do work they're not going to get the tips on? Because basically the tips are supposed to get them above minimum wage. Right. Um, in your scenario, I mean, I, I think it could be a problem. What, what I usually see, to answer your question, to you, what I usually see is just they're, they're waiting their tables, um, and they do that kind of work. You know, they fold napkins, they do all that, and the problem is who's getting the, sh- the share of the tips. That's usually the problem. It's that they, they pool together all the tips for the night, and then um, – it's only supposed to go to certain people that have certain jobs where they're getting that tip credit. Where the restaurant is only paying, oh, okay. below, the restaurant's paying the, the the amount below minimum wage. So then, if the cooks in the back are getting a share of those tips, that's what we're looking for. And that's one example of it. There are other ways that it could be violated potentially. So it's not necessarily them doing that work; it's them getting screwed out of the the tip pool. Yeah, and I think your example, though, I think I've seen, I think it's possible to have issues with that, too, where someone maybe is making a different rate, depending on what their duties are, um, but that's a whole different issue I'm not too familiar with, to be okay. honest with you. Now, do you guys do a lot of litigation about the independent contractor thing, or is that something that doesn't really come across your desk? Um, it's possible. Um, just, I, I think a lot of cases that I have are, um, that's not really the fight. The fight's really over. Just, did they work over time? how many potential hours and whether they were exempt, meaning under the FLSA exemption that I mentioned before. You know, are you supervising two or more people to give you that supervisor exemption, for example? Um, so, I mean, I see some independent contractor stuff, um, but I, I, in my practice, I don't think it's as, as, you know, as prominent as just the regular, the regular fights. Because what's, I mean, from your standpoint, what's mm-hmm. the recovery on that? The recovery is going to be payroll tax that should have been paid by the employer? For an overtime claim? No, 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 for the independent contractor stuff. Oh, well, the, the biggest issue would be that um, for me, just in my carved out area of law, would be that they might have been entitled to overtime. So an independent oh, contractor okay. is not eligible for overtime. So if someone comes in and they worked a ton of overtime and let's say the job duties all line up as an employee that should have been paid overtime and the company's defense was, oh, no, no, they were an independent contractor. They're, they, don't, they don't qualify under. They're not an employee, in other words, because FLSA only covers employees. That would be the fight and all the money to go after. Gotcha. So yeah. you're not worried about payroll tax. You're not worried about the Social Security being calculated differently. You're not worried about that stuff. I would say no from the standpoint of like my practice. Right, yeah, right, okay. right, yeah. Gotcha. So then um, I guess then just briefly, um, mm-hmm. so let's finish up with what what are some of the things you're looking for for that independent contractor stuff to have overtime kick in? Well, it's another complicated test, um, meaning there are uh, different tests um, – you know, for, our, for example, the IRS has um, many elements to look at, but 
just to really summarize it, you're looking for the control the employer has over the over the person. Um, do they control their hours? When do they work? Do they control, you know, provide the tools that they work with? Um, can that person, you know, a true independent contractor is free to make their own hours. It's free to work for someone else. I, you know, I can work for you and I can also carve out my week and work for my other guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a painter or I'm a landscaping company. I don't need you to tell me how to do my job and, and when to do it necessarily. Um, so there are many elements. I won't go into all of them, but those are some of the main ones that, I, you know, that are part of that uh, assessment. Gotcha. So, so you're basically kind of doing like a common sense analysis on the level of control the business operates over them. Yeah, and again, there's an IRS test, um, and um, there are some other ones too. There's some case law, some different things. Um, there are several factors, but the financial control, the behavior control. You know, it's, it, there are a lot of things that are in the essence of what I said, but that you look at to sort of align the facts with. Okay, is this person truly independent or not? And so it's very, it's very gray, and there's a lot of fights over this stuff. Okay. Yeah. So anything else that our listeners need to know regarding the wage and hour stuff, the overtime stuff, discrimination? I mean, we've covered a lot in this. I think that, no, I think I'll just end with, you know, I think that, and it's such an attorney answer, you know, but go, if you have any questions about what we've talked about today, you know, it's, you don't know what you don't know. And I've seen a lot of violations that people just didn't know, especially wage and hour stuff. You know, they don't know how it works. They are not being advised by attorneys. So that would be my one takeaway really to remember from this is that, you know, uh, this is just, you know, general information we're giving, you know, obviously it's, it's like, it's really, you know, go sit formally with an employment attorney, explain the job duties, if you think it's an audit issue with, with payroll and so forth, um, if it's the policies on discrimination, I, I think that's the, the most important thing is just check things out first. All right. So from a business standpoint, mm-hmm. from an employer standpoint, if you have any of these issues, you know, give us a call, uh, jordanlawfl.com or 407-906-5529. And then if you're the employee from the employee side trying to see if your employer has done this correctly, then feel free to contact Lewis at... Yeah, I'm at the Leach Firm um, here in town, and my, my direct line is 321-441-4103. you the phone number one more time? Sure, it's 321-441-4103. All right, so uh, before we finish on the way we finish all these podcasts, you know, we are still relatively new podcasts. I think this is going to be about episode 15 or 16. Uh, you know, we're on Stitcher, Last FM, iTunes, everywhere. But if you've listened to it, you've enjoyed, please, please, please leave us an honest review. Uh, hopefully a five-star review. I mean, at, at the very least, we get good guests on here, if not for me. So, you know, at least a uh, an honest five-star review for our wonderful guests. All right, so here we are. We're at the end. We're all these end. If somebody has listened to this and they take nothing else away except this one thing, what is that one piece of advice that you hope all of our listeners remember? It's such a generic answer, but um, it's just my it's my universe. If you think there's an issue with any of these things, is that everything that you do at work has some law that governs it? Your wages, your you know your protected classes, your leave, you know maternity leave, paternity leave. You have to go to an attorney. I have a lot of family and friends that ask me. The one takeaway is if you something doesn't smell right to you, you feel like you've been treated wrong, or you're a business about to make a decision and you're scared about it, go pay an attorney and get a consultation and establish a relationship with someone so that you can be advised professionally. Yeah, the uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. A stitch in time saves nine. <laughs> the early bird gets the worm. I mean, it's all... I, you know, this is my practice area. I'm sure that applies to many others. But in this one, I mean, it is just, yeah, prevention is key. And uh, and even if you're an employee, obviously, you know, what I do, you know, come come talk to me. Come talk to us. I, I do a lot of consultations for people that are still employed, you know, and that, that they're not sure what's happening, if it's legal or not. Happy to talk to you. I do free consultations on my end, so I'm happy to 
to vet your situation with you and you know see if there's a problem or not. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Jordan. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Let's Get Up to Business from Jordan Law. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and would consider sharing the show. We would also love an honest five-star review through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcatcher you use. If you are interested in being a guest of the podcast, please contact producer Mark through email at mark at jordanlawfl.com. Use the subject line podcast guest in your email. Thank you. We look forward to speaking to you again soon.